federal regulators have been busy in recent months launching a new round of HIPAA compliance audits and undertaking other enforcement activities. So what should covered entities and business associates be watching for next? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with attorney Devin McGraw, Deputy Director of Health Information Privacy of the Department of Health and Human Services, Office for Civil Rights. Devin will be speaking to us about recent OCR HIPAA enforcement activities, including the status of OCR's Phase 2 HIPAA Compliance Audit Program. So now, Devin, last time we spoke a few months back, OCR was just gearing up to launch Phase 2 of its HIPAA compliance audit program by reaching out to organizations to confirm contact information for potential audits. What's the latest status on Phase 2 audits? Anything new that we should be watching for? We're still in the phase where we are verifying contact information, in part because we want to make sure that we have contacted enough entities that the pool of potential oddities is large enough so that when we then go in to select the entities that we will actually audit, we're getting a decent cross-section of the industry. We do hope to be able to begin the desk audits uh, shortly thereafter. So entities should definitely still be checking their emails and making sure that information that's coming from us is not going to spam. Do you have an approximate timeline on when the actual audits might begin? Yeah, so definitely this summer. You know, this preparatory phase takes a lot longer than I think people realize just because we we have you know, entities that we're pulling from multiple databases that we have access to and because we haven't been in contact with many of these entities in a number of years, this, the verification process is very important. It's just one of those sort of operational issues that does take some time to get through. We want to, make again, make sure we have as robust as possible pools of entities from which to, you know, to actually pull the entities that, we will actually audit. And the larger those pools are, frankly, the better that is for those entities out there who are nervous about whether or not they're going to be audited because that obviously spreads the chances that you'll be the one picked will go down if those audit pools are large enough. So in some respects, this might be good news for industry that we're still in the preparatory phase and the phase of forming our, our auditee pools. But we'll be done uh, relatively soon. Do you know approximately how many covered entities and business associates will be audited? And will the covered entities be audited first, then the BAs? Yes. Now, we will definitely be selecting the covered entities and beginning to audit them first because our current database of business associates is not robust enough. And so we will need to rely on the covered entities who are selected for the audit to provide us with information on their business associates so that we can then go through the same process of verifying contact information and forming more robust business associate pools and then choosing the business associate oddities from there. But we will begin the desk audits for covered entities who are selected before we've necessarily gone through that whole process for business associates. So it's not like we'll be holding holding back on moving forward with covered entities as we go through the preparatory process for the business associates. And we're still working with our contractors on landing on the exact number, but it'll be somewhere between 200 and 250 entities that will be audited. And that figure would include both the covered entities and the BAs? That's correct. 
So now OCR recently updated its HIPAA audit protocol, and is there anything in particular that you think covered entities and BAs should be studying in terms of this new protocol for preparation of a possible audit? Well, it's a very comprehensive protocol. As one stakeholder group recently told one of my staff members, it's dense, which means we've done a a lot of work to try to make it much more comprehensive so that entities have a much better idea when they look through it about what they will are likely going to be asked to produce in the event that they are selected for an audit. What I would do if I were an entity who might be selected for an audit, which is, you know, potentially a very large group of covered entities or business associates, but certainly in particular those who have already been through the contact verification process with us and and so they have an even better idea that they're likely to be in one of our pools, is I would take a look at the protocol and I would look at the provision that we're going to focus on in the desk audits and really make sure that I can meet the expectations of the protocol with respect to those provisions because entities that are selected for a desk audit and the desk audits are going to go first are going to have to produce that information very, very quickly. Again, our expectation is that these are provisions of the HIPAA rules that are already a set of expectations for entities, so they should really be able to move on those very, very quickly. For example, producing the security risk assessment or producing information about processes for getting individuals with access to their health information, to name a couple of things that we have already talked about will be focused on in the desk audits. But but generally, we really also expect the protocol to be a very good self-assessment tool for entities. And so while I've concentrated this answer on focusing on the desk audits, frankly, it's a really good protocol to use for just getting your house in order from a HIPAA compliance standpoint for all of the regulations. So now, at this point, if covered entities and business associates haven't been contacted by OCR about confirming contact info, does that mean they're sort of off the hook this time around? Not necessarily. Some of the the contact information that we have had, again, has been in sort of multiple databases, and so we've had to roll out the verification process over a period of time, and we have not yet sent all of them out yet. The bulk of the contacts have gone out and been verified, but there are still many more yet to go. And so if you haven't received contact from us yet, it doesn't necessarily mean yet that you are out. There will come a time, though, when we have the pools of oddities and we're ready to select when we will be able to tell folks with some greater degree of certainty that if they haven't been contacted by us yet, they're not going to be in this particular phase. So, Devin, you mentioned that there's going to be a pretty fast turnaround from the time when OCR contacts an audited entity about producing documents such as maybe proof of a security risk assessment. How fast will that turnaround be? So entities who are selected for the audit and are asked to upload particular documents into our system, and this all will be done um, digitally through a portal, um, you'll have 10 business days from the 10 business days from the date of the information request. So that's essentially two weeks if you don't count the weekends. So now, aside from phase two of the audit program, are there other policy initiatives that covered entities and business associates should be paying particular attention to for the remainder of 2016? 
Well, we really have been quite busy at issuing guidance on various provisions of HIPAA. The guidance that we put out earlier this year on the right of individuals to access their health information is just one big example. And we issued that guidance in the form of frequently asked questions, and we do intend to continue to add to that with additional FAQs as more questions come in where people are trying to interpret our guidance and put it into practice and implement it within their entities and still coming up with questions about it. In fact, we're likely to issue a clarification on some fee questions that have come in, questions about, again, fees that can be charged to individuals for copies of their of their health information. We've got at least one in the pipeline that we hope to issue very soon. Similarly, we had the crosswalk that mapped the NIST framework to the HIPAA security rule. We've had FAQs that we have answered on the developer portal. We intend to answer some additional questions that have been posted to the portal in addition to coming up with some additional scenarios um, for mobile app vendors on whether HIPAA applies. We have cloud guidance that we've been working on that we hope to get out very soon. We had guidance that we issued about a month ago in conjunction with the case that we closed with New York Presbyterian regarding entities, news entities, and, and filming within healthcare institutions. We've got some guidance in the works on ransomware that we hope to get out very soon. So we vamped our website at the end of last year. We are hoping that the content that we're creating, as well as what's what we created in the past, is much more accessible than it was under the prior site. And we just encourage folks to be on our site regularly, join our listservs. We have a privacy listserv as well as a security listserv, and we put out developments on those as well. We're really trying to both be more more robust in our enforcement of the rules, but also to provide more guidance on how to comply um, because we really would much rather have entities understand what their obligations are and implement the policies and procedures and the technical aspects of compliance that they need to in order to be in compliance in a, with our rules as opposed to being on the end of one of our enforcement actions. Now, Devin, you mentioned that you'll be coming out with some ransomware guidance. And as we know, we've seen a lot of ransomware attacks hitting the healthcare sector in recent months. While we're awaiting the guidance, is there anything in particular that you think organizations that are being hit with ransomware attacks should know or to keep in mind when it comes to HIPAA compliance and, and breach reporting? I think it's important for entities to understand that the definition of breach that was in the high-tech statute and that is in our regulations is very broad. It is much broader than many state law definitions of breach. And in addition, under our rules, a breach that occurs by our definition is presumed to be a breach requiring notification unless an entity determines that there is a low probability that the information was compromised based on application of at least the four factors that are laid out in the rule. That's very clear in our regulations. That is exactly the process that entities who are subject to any sort of attack, whether it's a ransomware attack or some other something from another type of malware or any other type of breach, that's that should really be your go-to you should have a process already for assessing breaches, quite frankly, that is very much based on what, how do we de- define breach 
and what's the process to go through to determine whether a breach has occurred and whether notification is required with a presumption that notification is required, again, unless you can assess that there's a low probability of compromise. What, what I have been seeing in trade press reports is just a flat-out presumption. Ransomware does not equal breach. In fact, I'm confident that something that is a de facto pronouncement like that is not a proper application of our regulations. You have to go through the process. Does it fit the definition? And if so, it's a presumed breach absent application of the risk assessment and a determination that there's a low probability of compromise. And the guidance that we will produce will walk through that in, in much more detail. In the meantime, is there a discrepancy between what OCR is hearing in terms of how frequent ransomware is being used to attack health sector organizations versus the actual breach reports you're getting? Do you feel like organizations are not properly reporting these incidents to OCR? I'd much rather have that get covered in the guidance because I'm not going to speak to any sort of potential investigations. I'm comfortable responding to what I have seen in the press and some presumptions being made that are not based on an application of our regulations and the process that our rules require. As you mentioned, Devin, OCR has issued a number of enforcement actions recently related to breach investigations. What are the most important lessons that you'd like covered entities and BAs to learn from some of these recent cases? For instance, are there any new or recurring risk management issues that BAs and CEs should be made more aware of or should be more proactive in addressing? Yes, I would encourage anyone who is covered by our rules to take a look at the resolution agreements and the corrective action plans that we post after we announce closure of one of our formal investigations because it's it's really quite instructive and it's intended to be instructive to industry on things that they need to be looking for. For example, time and again, we see that entities are not doing security risk assessments that are enterprise-wide and that take account of all of the electronic PHI that is in their environments. Frequently, for example, we see an entity such as a healthcare provider do a security risk assessment that just assesses their electronic medical record system, but not other information collecting systems within their environment and not necessarily connected devices to provide another example. And these just routinely get left out and not only are they left out of the risk analysis, not surprisingly, if they're out of the risk analysis, then they're also left out of the process of how do you manage that risk, whether it's through encryption and if you're not encrypting, what are you doing as an alternative safeguard and, you know, really almost everything flows from that risk assessment. So if you're leaving big pieces of your enterprise out of it, chances are you're going to be non-compliant in all sorts of other ways. Ensuring data backup and contingency planning. This is a big one connected to ransomware, but it's not exclusive to ransomware. Are you able to, in the event that you 
have an emergency, whether it's a weather emergency or whether it's an emergency that is brought on by a cybersecurity threat, are you able to go to backup data so that you are able to continue your functions and your operations? Improper disposal. We still continue to have breach reports of paper where it's been improperly disposed and someone has found it or it's been lost and so therefore there is no record of whether someone saw it or not. And again, with our presumption uh, that that a reportable breach has occurred absent low probability of compromise, you know, those get reported to us as, as well. Patching software, you know, people not installing patches to software and thereby introducing additional risk into their environment. So those are just a, a handful of sort of what we see as a result of our investigations that are some things that entities may want to be paying particular attention to. And Devin, so far for 2016, based on the breaches that you're seeing reported to OCR these days, and I know there's sometimes an amount of time before something is posted to the wall of shame or issued in perhaps the report to Congress for smaller breaches, are there any new trends that you see emerging? I know we mentioned ransomware, but are there any other sorts of breaches that you see spiking that seem to be more problematic than maybe in the past? Clearly, hacking is on the rise. It's still not the largest source of breaches if you count by breach, but it has greatly surpassed the other sources of breach in terms of numbers of individuals affected because usually hacking involves enormous numbers of records, tens of thousands, or in some cases, maybe up into the hundreds of thousands of records. And so as a result, even though, again, hacks are 11% of the breaches that we have reported in terms of the number of individuals affected, it is now leapfrogged over any other source of breach. And that's obviously of concern to us. It should be concern to the industry. It should be prompting people to assess the vulnerability of their systems to hacking beefing up on training for employees so that they don't open emails with malware attached to them. That's the kind of thing where, you know, the hackers get are getting increasingly sophisticated. It's hard to keep up with them. I absolutely, without a doubt, understand that. But you can't turn a blind eye to it either. You have to at least be trying to stay as close to on top of it as you can by paying attention through press, through our security rule listserv tips. We do put out cybersecurity tips to the persons who who are on our listserv routinely, including tips, frankly, that we get a about threats that we hear about from some of our other federal partners who are monitoring cybersecurity risks with respect to the issues that they are in charge of. So you cannot stay even close to being on top of this with your head in the sand. This is a time for being alert, aware, and reactive and responsive as best as you can. Thanks, Devin. I've been speaking to Devin McGraw of OCR. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.